How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. I expect a lot of great things from this team. We know we've got a young team that's growing and learning on the fly. They're going to have an opportunity to grow up and become young men together on the court. That's what we did as Pistons when we won a championship in 2004, and I think the same for them. The sky's going to be the limit. You are locked on Fantasy Basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, and you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We're back now with another of the season preview podcasts, and today's uh, season preview podcast, we're going to be covering the Detroit Pistons, and to uh, go through everything that is the Detroit Pistons for this upcoming season, I am joined by NBC Sports and the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, Dan Feldman. Dan, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's good to, good to have you on the show. You would have heard uh, Dan in plenty of places. Obviously, he's on Locked on Pistons. He's a, a regular guest on uh, on the Dunked on Basketball podcast as well. Dan, what have you got happening uh, recently on uh, Locked on Pistons? Uh, well, by the time this is airing on Locked on Pistons, I think we'll just be wrapping up our, our team preview uh, cross-promotion with other Locked on podcasts and then a uh, position-by-position, which I think would be particularly interesting for for fantasy players, just position by position on each Pistons one through five. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interest in this uh, Detroit team. That they're a, a team with um, I'm not sure if that was necessarily surprising last season, but they definitely put up some some nice numbers. They got themselves in the playoffs, and, and the hopes are high. I saw that that quote at, at the start uh, of the show. There's a young group that Van Gundy has uh, brought together, and they're all hoping for for growth from within. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and break down what's actually happening with this team, where that growth comes from, where they're, how that translates into their fantasy value as well. Now, Dan, what we're doing for each of these shows is um, over on Basketball Monster, myself and Kyle and Matt over there are asking three questions for each team. So what I'm doing is taking those three questions and turning them then onto the uh, onto the expert guests that I have on regarding that team. So you're it for the Pistons. So let's go through these three questions. And the first one of those we're going to look at is Stanley Johnson. How does he increase his playing time from what he saw last season as a rookie? Well, he's got to do one of two things, and ideally both. But I think to manage expectations, it's probably going to be just one of the two. And that's either develop his skills with the ball become a better ball handler, a better shooter, a better passer, or recognize that his his skills with the ball are not quite there yet and focus on the ways he can and has helped the team, it, the hustle things that, that maybe don't show up in the box score, uh, boxing out harder, defending better in, in ways that don't end in steals and blocks, uh, becoming more aware defensively, those little things which he's fairly adept at. Uh, and so obviously from a fantasy perspective, there's a huge difference between those two, right? Like one is good for the Pistons. Both are good for the Pistons. Uh, one is good from a fantasy perspective and one is not. Uh, I think it's more likely 
that he reins it in a little bit as far as what he tries to do on the court, maybe not putting up as many numbers, uh, but making fewer mistakes and having his game come a little more in line with where his skills are right now. Even if he does you know, rein it in, as you say, and play a bit more under control, that might reduce his numbers slightly, but it will also allow him to stay on the court longer. And mm-hmm. then that's that's a trade-off that you're probably going to end up winning from a fantasy point of view. If he goes from 23 minutes to getting 27 minutes a night, which we've heard talk from Van Gundy that he's already looking to you know, potentially reduce the workload on Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Marcus Morris this season. And to me, that is an indication that it's because he wants to give a couple of extra minutes to Stanley Johnson and get him playing in there more. You mentioned his ball handling. You know, there are prob- And last season was a, you know, probably a... Uh, a standout situation given the lack of depth at point guard that he had to handle the ball some. Do you see him, you, know, you mentioned that he's, he can get into that role. Could he be a primary ball handler for a couple of minutes a, a night? Well, I don't know about primary, uh, but the Pistons are desperate for a secondary ball handler. Yep. Uh, they've signed Ish Smith, so they're a little deeper at point guard, but that still leaves so much on whether it's Reggie Jackson or Ish Smith. I think it's going to be limited how much the Pistons play them together. Uh, so if it's just one or the other, it's so much on them to create Contavious Caldwell-Pope, not uh, especially a good ball handler or distributor. Uh, neither is Marcus Morris if he's the small forward. Tobias Harris is a little bit, of, bit better of a ball handler, but not much of a distributor. Uh, so the Pistons put a lot on their point guard's plates, and I do think they would like to reduce that and would like Stanley Johnson to develop into that player who can take some of that toll. I'm just not quite as convinced that's going to happen next year. He's still very young. Yeah, look, he, he does have a, he's got a lot of a huge amount of potential. He's got a long way to go. But what I expect from him this season is an increase in his efficiency. He shot under 38% from the field and just over 30% from three. I expect both of those numbers to go up. He's already a good free throw shooter, but he should be getting a couple of extra minutes a night. And that to me is is worthwhile looking at potentially with a last pick in a draft just to see what happens because. I wouldn't now, Dan. You'd have a better idea than me. I wouldn't be shocked that if some point during this season, a switch is made, perhaps between him and Marcus Morris, if the the the, the leaps that that he's expected to have, you know, come come to fruition. It's definitely possible. I actually thought it was going to happen last year, yeah. uh, and Marcus Morris is just a little bit better and a little bit more comfortable in Van Gundy's system than I expected. And Stanley Johnson, maybe very, very slightly, was a little bit more raw than I expected. Uh, and so it could happen. I think it's just a matter of time still. I think the Pistons acquired Marcus Morris with the intent of he's a placeholder starter until Stanley Johnson is ready. Uh, but that process has gone longer than I initially thought it would. And I'm to the point where if I had to guess right now, Johnson will be coming off the bench barring injury. Uh, for the duration of this season, but I certainly would not be surprised if he advances and is ready, but midway later in the year. Well, I think ne- next year, next year is probably the time when he he's going to be ready to take that job. But the fact that Van Gundy is sort of sowing those seeds already, mentioning he yeah, reduce and look, but could Cowell Pope and Morris played a stack of minutes last season? They were you know. 37 minutes on pretty much every night and that's something that you're know, getting that down to 34 35 enables enables Johnson to get in there more but the fact that he's just sort of sowing that seed out there means that he's got a little bit more faith to me in what Johnson can do because they were playing huge minutes last season but he never showed really any indication of, of reducing their workload because he didn't feel that Johnson was ready now he's also got other guys that can play on the wing that showed a little bit last season in Bullock and Hilliard who who 
you know, did a little bit in, in their time on the court, but Johnson's obviously the main one that they want to get in, and he is a, a key piece to what they do. And what you alluded to before, he's really young. He's still got a long way to go, Stanley. But I do like him as a as a late-round pick and someone that potentially, you know, by, say, February, he could be in the starting lineup. But even if he's not, he could be getting above 25 minutes a night to start the season, and that could be enough. I, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I guess, I guess it's whether the cart is driving the horse there with Van Gundy's confidence in him. Uh, Van Gundy used a very high draft pick. His uh, first first-round pick as Pistons president on Stanley Johnson. He has like a, a vested interest in making Stanley Johnson look good. And obviously, he picked Stanley Johnson for a reason. Uh, but sometimes those things can get crossed up a little bit where a coach or president is trying to make a player look good and trying to force it. So the, that executive looks good, more so than a meaningful sign of Johnson being on the cusp. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point as well because yeah, he's got to he's got to justify, I guess, decisions that he made, and it's sort of not a self fulfilling prophecy, but it's more. Yeah, I, I understand exactly what you're getting at there. Now, the next question I want to look at is Reggie Jackson. Can he take a, a step forward um, in his first season as a starting point guard last year? Can he become an elite? point guard or do you think that his limitations in what he does really sets him back because he did take some step forward some steps forward last season but he didn't he didn't quite get there for the in duration of the season right and that's i wonder why that was he was much better in the first half than the second half and it's hard to pinpoint a reason he he slipped a little bit i tend to think uh what he produced for the duration of the season is pretty close to what he was and and it was just a matter of coincidence that the more better games came early and more of his lesser games came late. And just look at the larger sample, and that was the most telling. And that was still a step up for him. Uh, he's still only in his mid-20s. He's just 26. I think point guards tend to develop later. I still think there is more for him to do. He shot better from beyond the arc last year than he had. Uh, he's still somewhat getting used to being that lead guard, playing those big minutes with that big role. Uh, because like we talked about before, the Pistons wing players are very bad at distributing and ball handling. So there's so much on his plate and he's going to have to become a better positional defender if he's going to have a larger role. He's at about 31 minutes last year. Uh, he could maybe get a little more if he's more adept defensively, although the Pistons out of Ish Smith, who they're not going to need Reggie Jackson to play those Contavious Caldwell Pope or Marcus Moore's minutes, uh, they won't have to rely on him for that. Uh, but I do think he can take another step forward. I don't think this is peak Reggie Jackson yet. What he did, and you mentioned it there, is the three-point shooting. He took it up from under 30% to over 35%, and that was a big criticism of his game. The other criticism in his game is his um, ability to generate steals. And from a fantasy point of view, he's really, really low in terms of getting steals. He was just at 0.7 per game last season. Now, he did, in 2013-14, he did get over a steal a game, which is pretty key for a point guard in fantasy, but Jackson's never been that guy uh, to really accumulate steals. Is that a Van Gundy system thing, or is that just the way that Jackson plays do you think i think it's somewhat of a van gundy system thing i i do think the pistons tend to be conservative defensively when going for steals uh but i think the bigger factor was just reggie jackson had such a heavy load starting uh, for every game he played playing a major role handling the ball all the time uh, and it's not what he was used to and i think he needed to cut back and save energy a little bit and that came on the defensive end uh, and if he becomes more accustomed to that, 
I think his steal numbers could go back up. Now, one thing that's that's a bother for a fantasy point of view with with Stan Van Gundy is what he does with his point guards. And throughout his career, wherever he stops have been Detroit, Orlando, Miami, he doesn't play point guards big minutes. So we saw last season, despite honestly horrific depth at point guard, <laughs> Jackson didn't get over 31 minutes a night, where you'd think in a situation where you're relying on um, Brandon Jennings recovering from Achilles surgery and then only relying on Steve Blake after that, that you'd want to give your best player by a considerable margin at that position 34, 35 minutes. But but Van Gundy just, wherever you go back and look at his career, Jameer Nelson in Orlando, it, they get 30 minutes and point guards don't get more than 30 minutes. So that's a, that's a cap, that's a, a ceiling that Van Gundy, to me, puts on Jackson from a fantasy point of view because if he got 35 minutes, you'd get 20 points out of him, you'd get seven and a half, eight assists and that puts him into being a top 40, top 40 fantasy guy. But with the fact that Van Gundy is just continually limiting his point guards, it's it's a real it's a real artificial ceiling that Van Gundy puts on. Is there any indication that he changes that? Or to me, I see the the addition of Ish Smith, meaning he's just going to you know, furthermore stick to that. Yeah, I think he's just going to stick to that. I did not realize that was something that goes so far back. That's a very interesting point. Uh, when the Pistons signed Ish Smith, Van Gundy talked about one of the big positives was he liked how Ish Smith could handle starters' minutes in Philadelphia. And that, you know, not that they want to start Ish Smith, but that it would be comforting to know if they needed to, he could handle it because Van Gundy's thinking is there are a lot of point guards around the league uh, who can be fine in backup minutes, but just can't make that switch over and and play over an extended stretch. Their energy only lasts so long. Uh, So maybe going beyond that, if you extend out what he said, I think there's probably something to the idea that he wants Ish Smith to have a fairly large role for a backup even though i think there's a noticeable drop in quality of play there there is a significant drop in quality between especially defensively but even in terms of shooting efficiency but if we go back to van gundy's first season in detroit before jennings hurt his achilles van gundy was basically splitting the minutes between dj augustine and and jennings anyway that jennings would come in and then he'd sit entire fourth quarters or entire third quarters or entire second halves and the minutes were all up in the air Anyway, and that wasn't something that pleased Jennings. He was he was benched, I think, for a couple of games early on before that injury, and was really just starting to get back into a groove before he hurt himself. So the fact that Van Gundy says that about Ish Smith makes me think that he's going to be one of those. Okay, Reggie doesn't have it going tonight. Let's play them twenty four minutes apiece, and I think that's going to be something that that is a realistic possibility this season. Do you think that's possible? I don't think it's going to be that drastic of a split, only because Andre Drummond is the franchise player. Everything revolves around him. And he and Reggie Jackson are really starting to develop a nice chemistry. I think a lot of Ish Smith's game, the way he uses his speed, I think he can throw some similar lobs. Like I think Ish Smith could get there with Drummond, but I don't think they're going to want to to jeopardize that budding chemistry between Jackson and Drummond. Uh, so I don't think it'll be that drastic, but I don't think Reggie Jackson's minutes are really going to shoot up by any means. They may even come down a little bit, but 24-24... Uh, seems far too extreme to me. Yeah, I don't think they would, they would do that. Every I'm just mean uh, the occasional night where you might see instead of Jackson getting 30 minutes, the one night he'll get 24 because he's not feeling it on that one night. And and Van Gundy just this splits him similar, I guess, to the way that they ran in Atlanta with Teague and Schroeder last season, mm-hmm. where some nights that Schroeder would get 30, some nights he'd get 17. 
I imagine that happening a little bit. Like it's not, it's going to be Jackson most of the time. But my major point is, don't get excited for Jackson to go and play thirty-four minutes and become this top forty type of player. To me, he's clearly outside that mid-range of, of point guards just because of the limitations with his steals. His shooting percentage isn't great, and then there's the artificial cap on his minutes that Van Gundy does put on point guards. So just be be wary of that. The the last question we'll, we'll get to in this uh, initial part, Dan, is about the backup center minutes because the Pistons signed. Um, I guess, cult hero Boban Marjanovic last season. He was a guy that whenever he got an opportunity to start, we saw big numbers from him. It only happened three or four times last season, but he was someone that, okay, Duncan might rest. Let's go and add Boban to our fantasy teams, and he's going to put up big numbers. Now, he comes across to Detroit, and people are going to have the same thought. Or if if Drummond has to sit because of foul issues, um, is Boban coming in because he's going to put up numbers? I pose the question to you, is he third string or second string on the center depth chart? That's a good question. Uh, Stan Van Gundy went with the way he explained the Boban signing was the, the primary motivation for it is Aaron Baines can opt out next summer. He'll be an early bird free agent and Van Gundy does not think the Pistons are going to be able to retain him. The Pistons are going to be at or near the cap level. And so they might need cap space to resign him if he gets above 12 or 12, 13 million dollars or so in his first year. And the Pistons had money now. So sign Boban, and he will assume that role a year from now. So I think the expectation from the coaching staff is that Baines is going to hang on to it. I'm really high on Boban. Maybe I'm just part of of that cult following for him. Uh, But I'm really high on him. I think he's going to win the job this year. And part of my thinking in that is... And this can be hit or miss from a fantasy perspective is that because the Pistons also have John Lure to handle certain types of matchups, I think Lure can play some center in the right matchups. You can have Boban for the other ones rather than splitting the difference with Baines. Uh, so I think Boban, like he did in San Antonio, a lot of his, if especially if he gets the job, a lot of his minutes are going to come in good matchups for him. Otherwise, Lure would be playing center. Uh, and so you might get nights where he doesn't play at all, even if he's in the road, quote unquote, rotation ahead of Baines or plays very little. Uh, but the nights he does play, I think he will be very good. He's that player that, that if he got you know, extended minutes, he wouldn't need 25, even 30 minutes to put up fantasy friendly numbers. Like if he played 18 minutes, he could have 10 points and seven rebounds and get two blocks. And the thing with both Baines and Marjanovic is both of them uh, are very good free throw shooters. So that's something that if there is a concern with Drummond and the free throws, which we know is a problem, that Van Gundy can go to either of those guys. So it's not like one of them has a clear advantage in that area. Like Baines was re- reliable for the Pistons last season, being that if, if Drummond had to sit, they could put Baines in and they knew that he wouldn't miss his free throws, that he'd hit them at you know, 70-ish percent, which is obviously a lot better than what Drummond was able to do. And he's going to have the same flexibility with uh, with Boban this season because he can go in there and, and hit them, at, again, at a really high rate. But uh, to me, it, it's not... I, I still think that Baines is ahead of him, but I can, I, I'm a big fan of, of Boban. But I, I do tend to um, subscribe to the theory that Boban's more there for next season. But I can I can p- completely see him jumping ahead of, uh, of Baines. And despite Boban being a rookie last season, it's not like he's a young player who's got much room for growth, though. So that's another reason. Well, another thing, just to be aware of, because some people may not know, or most people would know that he's an advanced age rookie last season, but some people don't necessarily know. I think he's 27 years old now. Is that right? Uh, that's what I was going to say. 
I think I think twenty seven. So he's sort of in that. This is sort of who he is. Um, mode. Although oh, he d- is obviously he, just- he just he just had a birthday last month, so now he's twenty eight. Okay, yeah. so he's in he's in that. This is my physical prime, but he's sort of you know, still got a year or so to get completely used to an NBA system. And I guess on a on a new team, there's that slight adjustment, but yeah. It's not going to have a huge amount of impact fantasy-wise, but it's it's more going to be the, on the occasional nights on teams that really show a propensity to, to use the hacking strategy. One of those guys might get 22, 23 minutes if Drummond is reduced on a, on a situation like that. And there are teams you can tell as the season progresses who really favor that that method. Um, and then that's that's where you can look at, especially in, in a DFS sort of perspective, that one of those guys at, at minimum salary might come in and play 20 minutes and then go for 10 and 7, and that can be really effective in that sort of situation. Now, the, uh, the NBA draft, Dan, the Pistons had two picks. They didn't get exciting with any of their trades or anything like that, but they made they made, they made made a pick at each spot there. In the first round, they picked Henry Allenson out of Marquette. And in the second round, I'm probably going to butcher this name. Oh, no, I'm going to butcher this name. In the second round out of Syracuse, they picked uh, Michael Benijay. Is that close? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I, I'd say Benijay. Ben- a little bit softer on that, Jay. Okay. Yeah. Benijay. And, and that's... And that's guessing that I'm right, not 100% on that. But that, I've been saying Benajay. Okay. That, it sounds better. It rolls off the tongue a lot better, so I'll, I'll, I'll stick with that. Let's, <laughs> let's go to Allenson. Um, a guy that was projected at, at times to be a lottery selection. Didn't obviously work out that way. He was a freshman at Marquette. He's a, a big man, a powerful, and he sort of fits what Van Gundy wants to do with that stretch four position. Now, he hasn't actually proven that he can be a stretch four or shoot the long-range shot just yet. I don't think he, he didn't shoot it very well in college, but it looks like it's something that he might be able to do. But in terms of him getting you know, minutes this season, you touched on John Lewis signing already. That puts Allenson way down the rotation, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. I, I don't see Ellenson cracking the, the rotation this year. I mean, Lure, really the only way it happens is if if there's a game where the Pistons are comfortable with Lure at center, which I think will happen sometimes. Uh, so Lure would play a lot of center behind Drummond. But even then, all the combo forwards who can take minutes at power forward between Marcus Morris, Tobias Harris, uh, even Stan- Stanley Johnson, I just don't think there are going to be many minutes for Ellington in those games, if any, and then they're going to be all all the games where Lure's at power forward, and between Lure and those combo forwards, they're going to eat up all the minutes there, and I just, I don't see much of a path for Ellington this year. Yeah, I, I can't see how he, he plays ahead of any of those guys, as you mentioned, because even if they don't have Harris or Lure, they can just slide Morris across and, and play him at the four as well, and get some of those other guys like Bullock and Hilliard into playing you know, some of the two, and move Stanley across to the three, and, and run small in that way. There's lots of different ways they can go, and a lot of them don't include Allenson. But in terms of what he can do moving forward for people who are looking in dynasty leagues, he he is that sort of player that that can project to be what Van Gundy wants from from a four. Um, what are his major concerns that will prevent him from getting into being a, a useful NBA player? Do you think? Well, I, I think it's got to start on the defensive end, and this is why I think he's going to end up uh, more of a center than a power forward. I think he's going to just have too much of a hard time chasing around the quicker power forwards that become more common, even regular size power forwards, at least in the traditional sense, I think could give him trouble. Uh, so I think he's ultimately going to have to, or at least his best chance, not his only one, he could play power forward, but I think his best chance is to slide down to center become stronger, uh, use some of that weight he has to his benefit to bang around in the post, and maybe he could create some real matchup advantages down the road. 
if he develops the other skills and becomes maybe a, a playmaking five, somebody who can shoot three pointers, who can bring the ball up the court, a good passer from that position, very atypical skill set, uh, but maybe something that can be a weapon. He, he said he didn't shoot the three very well in college at all, but that, that looks to be something that he can, he can project to do. Right. That, see, that's the tough part about it. When I would say I want him to, to become a playmaking five, like he doesn't have those skills yet. Like you can see the raw outline of his jump shot. Maybe that it can extend beyond the three-point range. Uh, he was comfortable bringing up the ball up the court, grabbing a rebound and going. He was comfortable as a passer, uh, but not at an NBA level yet. So it's a lot of projection going on here, but you can see the rough outline of something intriguing. The next guy they picked in the second round, to me, he is quite intriguing, Benige. He's a guy that played for Syracuse, a four-year player. He's enlisted as a shooting guard, but he played a lot of one at Syracuse. He handled the ball quite a bit. But the thing is, we didn't get to see in summer league. He played one game and had that foot issue, but what we did see was was pretty impressive. He had 10-7-5. and five. He had two steals in 33 minutes, and he, he does handle the ball a little bit. Um, again, with, with Ish Smith coming in, with a guy like Lorenzo Brown probably going to be the third point guard, and then those other twos like Corwell Pope and Johnson and Hilliard and Bullock in front of him, it's going to be hard for him to see the court. But we talk about the Pistons' need for a secondary ball handler. That's the sort of thing that he can potentially bring if everything else in his game sort of comes comes to fruition. But we're not going to see a huge amount of him this season, are we? Uh, that's exactly right. You can see how they could use somebody like him, but they probably need somebody better than than him. It doesn't help to just have a secondary ball handler who's not yet NBA rotation caliber just for the sake of having a secondary ball handler. Uh, but, it, you know, he has a fighting chance of, of becoming the backup shooting guard. I don't think that's likely. And I'm not even sure the Pistons will use a backup shooting guard in the rotation. Uh, but if they do, he has an outside chance of passing Darren Hilliard or Reggie Bullock for that spot. He averaged uh, in his last two years in college 3.6 assists and 4.3 assists with 1.9 steals both those seasons and shot 39% from three So in both those years as well. So he's got that skill set as a, a three-point shooter, a ball handler, and a defender. It's just about translating it now to the NBA level. But it, it could happen, but he's got that, that outline of a skill set where it's going to be valuable if it actually turns into something. So in terms of really deep sort of dynasty fantasy leagues, he's a guy I've got my eye on as long as I don't have to play him this year because what he can bring, if it all comes together, can be really useful. But there's a huge question mark, and that's obviously why he went so low in the draft because there are questions as to whether he can actually do that. But if it does come together, getting a guy who can distribute the ball as a two and get you steals, hit threes, be efficient with all he does. It, it can be really useful. So he's a guy I'm looking forward to in that sense just to see how it uh, how it works out. Now, in free agency, we've touched on a few of these guys. Uh, Ish Smith and, and John Lewis, the two biggest signings. They're not huge names, obviously, but they, they fit exactly what the Pistons needed. They needed another four um, to play off the bench, and they desperately needed a backup point guard. Now, Ish Smith in Philadelphia put up some, uh, some pretty... Nice raw counting stats last season. He was horrific defensively. He was really bad um, in his efficiency. But I think that he's not going to be as detrimental in those areas in Detroit because he's not going to be asked to shoulder as big a load as what he was in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, he was the only point guard who had any semblance of NBA talent. He's going to be asked to fit more into a system here. How do you see the Ish Smith signing um, in terms of the fit with Detroit? Well, in a specific sense, I think the fit is very good because the Pistons needed a backup point guard. As you said, Stan Van Gundy likes to have a backup point guard he can rely on. And Ish Smith is a huge upgrade from 
Steve Blake. And, you know, that's that's why Van Gundy went out and got DJ Augustine his first year before having to use Augustine in a in a no brainer trade for Reggie Jackson. And I don't think Van Gundy was comfortable uh, with his situation at backup point guard. So he targeted Smith, went out and got him. I think the the fit will be very good in the short term. In the long term, I'm a little more concerned and maybe even the medium term uh, because Smith is already 28. And he's a six-foot point guard who relies on his speed. That's not a knock on Smith per se. I mean, he's developed his skills, but his skills revolve around his speed. He's a good enough shooter because he gets so much space by being fast. He's a good enough passer because he opens passing lanes by being so fast. So if his speed declines, it could be a, a very quick drop for him and once point guards get, you know, small point guards like that get into their late 20s, the, the fall can come at any time. Uh, so, no, I don't expect him to drop off a cliff this year or anything, but it could happen sooner than people expect. We've already seen a guy like Ty Lawson, who's a, an undersized point guard, have his have his play drop off considerably. And that's not all to do with his size. There's obviously other issues that are going into Ty Lawson's decline in play. But it's something that you know, throughout NBA history has been has been something that's uh, that happened quite often. Now, if you're drafting on, say, an ESPN platform for your league, you'll see Ish Smith ranked inside the top 100. And that is absolutely ludicrous. You should have no interest in picking Ish Smith inside the top 100. He's not going to be playing 30 minutes unless something drastically goes wrong. And even last season in Philadelphia, when he was playing 30-plus minutes, if your team wasn't set up in the correct way, he was actively hurting your team because he was taking you know, millions of shots. He was missing the majority of them. He was missing from the free throw line. He, he hurt both of your percentages. He was not really doing much defensively. Yeah, he was scoring and getting assists, but he just was really hurting in all other areas and racking up a ton of turnovers as well. So even if he was a starter on a bad team like last season, picking at 90, it's only for certain people. And this season, there's absolutely no reason that you should be considering Ish Smith unless you're in, in quite a deep league or something goes horribly wrong with Reggie Jackson. That's the way it's sort of looking at the moment. Now, with Lua... It's an interesting signing. I don't see Lua playing as much as he did last season, though. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Because he played quite a bit before Earl Watson came on in Phoenix. So would he end up with about 19 minutes a game, I think, last year? I, I could see him being in a similar range. The The Pistons could use a taller big man who can stretch the floor. Like That was uh, definitely an element they were missing, and it's somewhat matchup dependent. Uh, last year, Anthony Tolliver was that quote-unquote taller stretch big mostly because he was willing to do the dirty work and they didn't the Pistons didn't have to put Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris through it as much uh so I think the the one name the Pistons keep mentioning they want lure for is Kevin Love uh so when he's playing the Cavs I'm sure he'll get big minutes and if you see similar matchups like that I think he'll get big minutes and this is sort of the corollary to what we were talking about with whether it's Boban or Aaron Baines the Pistons can be can play to the matchups more. When you have a big like John Lure, who's a little more finesse, not as strong, you can play him when you have an opponent who fits that. When you have an opponent who requires just some real big burly guy, you've got Marjanovic and Aaron Baines. Uh, so I definitely, I definitely think they'll play to the matchup between those because I don't think there's a huge difference in skill level where you'll want one of the guys in a not great matchup. 
Lua at times last season when he was starting in Phoenix was definitely someone who's fantasy friendly because he, he gets rebounds, he hits threes, he's a decent steals and blocks guy, he's not great, but he can, he can approach one each of those per, per game, but he also is efficient in terms of his free throw shooting. His field goal percentage is not a traditional 50% big man sort of rate, but he's a, a 46-47 type guy and a decent scorer, but it's going to take obviously a few situations to go awry for him to be put into into one of those um, into one of those roles in Detroit, but he is going to play a key role and he does really solidify their bench and, and makes their team as a whole better, but in terms of what he, his ceiling for fantasy production, it's well down on what it was last season. Now, the other guy, Dan, that they brought in was uh, Ray McCallum. He potentially doesn't make the roster as a third point guard. It's between him and Lorenzo Brown. Who do you who do you think makes that uh, makes the cut for that last roster spot? Uh, it's going to be close. I think it's a real honest competition going into training camp. I like McCallum. I, I like what he can do as a ball handler, and I see a little potential there. Uh, but I also think Stan Van Gundy might err on the side of caution and Lorenzo Brown, who's been with the Pistons, D-League affiliate, uh, maybe just a little more advanced in his understanding uh, of what Van Gundy wants to do, and if you need to rely on him, it's a little safer. Um, the, the thing that's worrying to me about McCollum is the fact that he, you know, Memphis had you know, 28 players they used last season, so many injuries. He signed there, but they didn't sign him for the rest of the season. They said, you know, we've got no one else, but now we're good. You can go somewhere else. So <laughs> that, that to me is a little bit of a concern, the fact that they had no one. Um, he'd had starting experience. He played, and then they just after his ten days were up, they just said, "Look, nah, we're, we're not going to bring you on for the rest of the year. We'll uh, we'll go and try Xavier Munford, or we'll bring Jordan Farmar back, and just get you know random players basically coming in." And he wasn't able to establish himself in any sort of role with that team, so that's a little bit of a concern. So it's not going to have a huge impact fantasy wise, but you know, people in deep leagues are obviously going to want to know about it now. Dan, when we look at breakout candidates on this team, who, who's the one that you think that might – they can either take a step forward in their playing time, in their level of play, or in their exposure, I guess, to national attention. Is there someone that you see you know, fits any of those criteria? Well, the high upside one is definitely Stanley Johnson. All the tools he has, he's so young, so much room to grow. The Pistons have a vested interest in helping him get there. They'll give him minutes uh, – just to help his development, and so they'll obviously give him minutes if he earns them. Uh, so that really high upside there. I don't think he's quite going to be ready for that. Uh, and so I, I look at somebody like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who might play a little bit better and put up a little more numbers per minute, but might have his minutes scaled back just so there's not so much of a burden on him. Uh, whether the, I, I think that'll be a net positive fantasy-wise, but but maybe not as much because of the minutes issue. Uh, I mean, really, this is a was a young team, top to bottom, that I think is going to make decent steps forward next year. But I don't know if there's any one player who I'd eye and say, yep, he's going to make that big leap forward. I think it's just going to be collectively making small steps, uh, where I think a lot of these players will be a little bit more valuable than they were last year. Uh, but Stanley Johnson's definitely the high upside one. Everyone else is sort of in that role where they're going to take incremental steps forward. So like a guy like Tobias Harris, who's got his full you know, first full season with this team. He's a guy that I harp on this all the time, Dan. He, he's still ridiculously young. I think, I don't even know if he's turned 23 yet. He's still you know, really, really young and he's got a lot of room to, to continue to grow. And he, he was quite, you know, he, was, he was good for, for Detroit last season. But what 
you need to understand from Harris is when you look at his numbers from last season, you can't extrapolate his rebound numbers for the season over to what he'll do this year because when you play next to Andre Drummond, your rebounding numbers go down. Ersan Ilyasova saw a big hit. Now, Harris saw a big hit. I think he dropped two rebounds per 100 possessions when he played next to Drummond versus when he was in Orlando. So don't expect him to be going out there and getting eight rebounds a night. He's going to be more a six-and-a-half-ish sort of rebound player. But he's a key piece of what they do, Harris. And I think that in those mid-rounds in fantasy, he's going to be really, really valuable because, again, I think he takes a small step forward, but just don't be looking at it and going, I know Tobias Harris can go out there and grab me a stack of rebounds because when you play next to the best rebounder in the in the NBA, you're just not getting those rebounds because Drummond is, is inhaling uh, all of them. I want to talk about Drummond now, Dan, because there's been lots of talk about the uh, the, the hacker rules changing. And people will ask me questions like, okay, does these new changes in the rules affect affect it for fantasy? Does that mean that Drummond's not going to get hacked? Does that mean that his free throw percentage is not going to be as as impactful and we're still going to be able to draft him if we're not punting that category? My answer is no. It doesn't really change much. Yes, it enables him to be on the court for the last two minutes of every quarter, but there's still ways that they can foul him without actually hacking him. They can they can do that. Not a problem in terms of basketball play. So I don't think there's going to be really much change to the the amount that Drummond goes to the free throw line. Now, if he's changed his ability to convert them, that's another story. But I wouldn't be placing much faith in that, despite all the all the words that come out of Detroit this offseason that he's found something that works and all this sort of stuff. How do you see the hacker rules applying to Drummond? Um, and is there any any basis to this talk of him yeah, finding something that works well i i'm with you i don't think the hacker rule change is going to make a big difference for him i might make a very small difference but not anything that's that's going to really swing where you should draft him or not because the rule still allows teams to hack him if he's part of a play and that's such a broad thing if he's setting a ball screen he's part of the play well, how much use does Andre Drummond have if he's not out there setting ball screens? That's what he does. Uh, so when teams are hacking, the Pistons are either going to have to ride it out on his free throw shooting or bench him. Like It's going to be the same as it was. And I'm, I'm even concerned about the possibility. And I guess I don't think the rule change this year changes the circumstances enough. But the NBA is clearly continuing to look at this. So if you're in the dynasty league and looking to project out... I think it's just as likely, maybe even more likely, that a very punitive rule that tries to eliminate Hacka could be harmful for Drummond. Because the alternative is going to be, okay, we can no longer clearly intentionally follow him. We're just going to play him very physically. And one of two things will happen. They'll call a foul, which is what we would have liked to do originally. Or we're going to be more effective against him. We're going to have an easier time boxing him out and keeping him off the glass. We're going to push him farther away when he when he catches the ball rolling to the basket. And, you know, maybe they'll get away with, with more what should be fouls on him. Uh, so I, I'm not sure there's a clear out for him ever in this except for making his free throws. His new form, I don't know. We haven't seen it yet. I'm pretty unconvinced he's had several new forms. It's never been a problem for him to find a new form. None of them have worked. Maybe a couple have worked for, I don't know, a dozen free throw stretch and people get excited. And then it's same old, same old. A lot of it's mental. I don't I don't think this new stroke is some magical fix. 
yeah, I, I wouldn't be putting until we see it for a prolonged period of time. I'm just not buying, buying into him doing it. Look, it might take him from 38% to 43%, but it really makes no difference in terms of fantasy. If you've got Andre Drummond, and I say this all the time, you're punting free throws. You, you, you might say that you can try and recover from it, but you can't. You literally cannot. You can pair him with James Harden. You can pair him with James Harden and Russell Westbrook, and you're still below average in the free throw percentage category by a significant margin. If you draft him, accept it. You've lost that category. You're losing it every week, and that's all there is to it. You you cannot you cannot draft around it you, unless unless you draft him and sit him on the bench the entire matchup. Man, what's the point of that? That's the only way you can win free throws if Drummond is on your team. So embrace it, grab him, and deal with it. And also when you look at when you look at rankings and, and on sites and average draft position, they're all rubbish for for Drummond. They make no sense because they'll put him at like fifty or sixty and. Again, if you're not willing to take on that hit in free throw percentage, you don't draft him at all. If you are, then he's a top 20 player. So that's just people hedging their bets and saying, oh, we'll just put him somewhere in the middle. And without fail, you'll see him and DeAndre Jordan within three spots of each other because people don't know what to do in terms of ranking. Let's put him in the 60s so we can sort of discourage people and and and, and put him in that middle range because he is such a negative. But he's either completely undraftable or he's a top 20 player, and you never draft him in the top 20, but that's how good he can be in that situation because you're going to get 15 rebounds. You're going to get 15, maybe 16, maybe 17 points. You're going to get, hopefully, some more blocks this season. He's a really good big man at getting steals. But what what a, a downside of, of Drummond is from a fantasy point of view, and, and it, it does impact what he does on the court, is his field goal percentage has dropped considerably the last two seasons under Van Gundy as Stan's been trying to work on his offensive game. Do you see either that turning the corner or Van Gundy abandoning that post-experiment with Drummond? That's that's the million-dollar question with him. I mean, like you said, the rankings can be can be weird with Drummond, but you know what you're getting. It's just a matter of how you evaluate that, except for the field goal percentage. You don't know what that's going to be. He was up around 61 62% his first two years. Yep around 51, 52% the last two years. And a lot of that is because he's expanded his game. You're going to get more points per game as a result. Uh, but he's trying to expand his game and do more things. And the big thing is the post-ups. And the Pistons, at times, under Van Gundy, have force-fed him the ball on, on post-ups. And it's been terrible. Like, this is not Drummond's skill set. He can run. He can crash the rim on a pick-and-roll. He can hit the offensive glass and get putbacks. But all these post-ups, all, you know, anything, any semblance of anything, him trying to face up or anything like that, he just, it's above his head. And I don't think he's going to get there on it. So the question is, what comes next? Does Van Gundy say, hey, these aren't working for us. We're going to cut them out. Does he say, hey, you're still very young. We want to develop your game. The only way for you to get better is to try them. And there's a world of difference. Uh, and I tend to think continuing to try it is more likely because I think Drummond likes it. I think he likes having the ball in the post. I think it makes him happier. And sometimes there's something to just appeasing your star player. Well, we saw that last season with Dwight Howard, who who basically you know, shut things down defensively because he was getting completely ignored offensively. So yeah, Van Gundy's worked with Howard before. He understands that mentality of a of a big man who is a, a defensive anchor and a real key part of what they do on that end in terms of keeping them happy. He's worked with Howard before, who's... You know, Basically, Drummond is Howard in Van Gundy's system, and he will, he will do that with him to keep him engaged on that end. So you're going to see him being a higher scorer than, say, someone like DeAndre Jordan, but he's not going to shoot 70% like DeAndre Jordan because they're going to use him in a completely different way. So 
don't bank on a return to the 60% for Drummond. But again, what you get from him is what you get. You're going to get huge rebounds. You're going to get massive offensive rebounding numbers. If you're counting that as a category, he's a huge advantage there. Really good at steals again in terms of as a big man. He's a guy that can approach one and a half steals a game. That's, that's probably his upper limit, but that's still awesome for a center. And he's a guy that... You could probably look to to block a few more shots, but he's still decent in that area. So, again, it all comes down to if you're punting free throws. If you are, great. If you're not, just completely forget about it. Do not deal with him. Do not touch him because you might say, oh, you know what? Andre Drummond slipped to 80. I might grab him here. And then your free throw percentage is done. It doesn't matter what you've done beforehand. If you weren't, even if that was, if free throw percentage is one of your strengths and then you add him, even if you add him with the very last pick in your draft, it doesn't matter where you pick him. Your free throw percentage is done wherever wherever you add him. It, it is finished. It you know the the numbers pay no attention to where he was drafted. So it might look like a bargain, but that means you have to switch your entire strategy up. And that you can do that. But if you're not prepared to do it or your team's not built to do it, it's just going to ruin everything. And I just needed to make sure I got that point out, Dan, because some people will look, oh, maybe if I pair him with Harden, it doesn't it doesn't matter. And it's not a straight eighty percent plus thirty percent equals seventy eight percent or whatever it is, because the the volume of it, it just doesn't it doesn't add up, and I've stressed that plenty of times. Let's talk Marcus Morris, who came across and was a big surprise last season, but he took a lot of minutes to do it, and really, in terms of fantasy, it was middling production for a guy getting 36 minutes a night. There aren't many players in the NBA who get 36 minutes a night, and for him to get it and then still not find himself inside the top 100 players, it's a... Uh, it's a it's a sign to me of what his game is. With the reduction in minutes, he's not someone that's draftable inside the top 100, and I probably wouldn't even consider him inside the top 150 because we've already touched on that. There's really only downside for Morris at this point in his career in Detroit with Johnson ascending, with the minutes starting to be cut, and with him being that placeholder. He did shoot 45% from three after the All-Star break, which is... You know, much better than anything he's done in his career, but he's been a decent three-point shooter. It is what we saw from Morris last season a pretty par for the course, or can you see avenues for improvement in his game? Uh, I actually can see some avenues okay. for improvement. I think the big one is as a passer. I think he really impressed the Pistons in a way they did not expect with his ability to, to pass, and with the Pistons so desperate for a secondary distributor. Maybe he's not going to be that secondary ball handler, and it, it changes your number of opportunities to do it, but you can throw him the ball in the high post and see what he can do sort of as a passer from that position. So I do think there's some room for his assist per minute to go up, but I do think his minutes are going to come down uh, with the addition of Lure, with uh, Stanley Johnson getting better. You know, I, I think throughout the season last year, Stan Van Gundy wanted to bring down Morris's minutes, but he just couldn't. Because Morris played well, he was dependable. He did everything Van Gundy asked. He defended hard. Like, how do you how do you not play that guy if he can handle and he seemed up to it? Now there are going to be some better viable alternatives. Uh, so I think his minutes will come down, and the rest of his game per minute will probably remain pretty similar. Uh, but I do definitely think there's room for him to grow as a passer. Uh, and if the Pistons, depending how they work their lineup. You know, I do think they'll want to get Stanley Johnson minutes with Drummond because those two are like the core with, with Reggie Jackson, the core within the core of the, the young players that they're really going to build around. Maybe Morris's minutes get staggered a little more. He gets some more minutes off the bench. 
potentially playing sometimes with John Lure and, and maybe his rebound numbers go up a little bit, even if his rebounding ability stays pretty similar. Yeah, what you mentioned with his assists was, was pretty interesting because he did increase his assist rate last season. He got to a career high two and a half assists per game, and that, that can be really useful out of out of a three as well. But yeah, the cut in minutes does really impact what he can do because he thirty six minutes is a lot of minutes, and it's just really tough to see him getting that again. Now, Kentavious Caldwell pipes up for an extension in the off season. He's been a guy that Van Gundy has given the green light to, basically just said. You know what, KCP, just go out there and shoot as many times as you want. It doesn't really matter how many times it goes in because it hasn't been going in at a very high percentage, especially from three, but he's been launching shots and he's been playing a stack of minutes. Now, he's another name that's been mentioned. Let's try and ease the workload off him a little bit. But in terms of him actually just going out and, and, and launching shots, is that something that you think Van Gundy will continue to do because it helps the Pistons in terms of spacing? Because spacing's not just necessarily about making the shots it's about having the confidence to take them and he definitely has that and has that green light but do you think that he can you know, sort of the, the light goes on and he can he can hit that hit that switch and, and hit him at 35 percent instead of 31 percent yeah 35 percent at that same volume might be a little bit of a tall order just based on what we've seen it's been three years now and and his career percentage is about 33 and it's gone up and down uh, so it's not like there's a clear upward trend. Uh, but then you watch him shoot. He has a nice smooth stroke. In the system, he's going to get plenty of open shots. It's hard to say that he shouldn't get to, to 35% if you just watch him. Uh, but the results just haven't been there. It's a little confounding. I think some of it is confidence issues, which is something else that I think would point towards Dan Van Gundy continuing to give him the green light. Like As long as he's defending his butt off, which he has, as long as he's getting these open shots, as long as he's still so young, you want to develop him, you want to make him confident. Uh, so I do think he'll still have that green light, and maybe this is the year he gets at his percentage up. I think uh, every single season, people, myself included, predicted he'd shoot a higher three-point percentage than he had, and I don't want to accept that this is just the reality. At this volume, he's a 33% three-point shooter, uh, but I, at some point, you've got to see something to the contrary. One positive, or a couple of positives, is his field goal percentage has gone up every year of his career from 39.6 to 40 to 42, but his free throw percentage jumped 11% last season from 70 up to 81, and that's a significant uh, increase. Now, it didn't translate to his three-point percentage because that dropped, but it's still... The fact that he was able to to prolong an 11% increase in his free throw percentage over the course of an entire season is a real positive in terms of his shooting. And as as you... said, I don't see Van Gundy not not continuing to let him shoot from, from deep. And even if it just increases 2%, he's a 34% shooter from last season. That's that, that's, a, that's a bump as well. And that's something that's, that is useful for fantasy. But remember, he played 37 minutes a game last season. And I, I, again, I don't think that he's getting 37 minutes again this season. He's still going to be a key part. He's a, he's one of the best um, defenders in terms of the, at the guard position in the NBA. We saw that he was able to give Steph Curry plenty of problems last season when they matched up with each other. He, he's a guy that, again, and his steal numbers have started to increase as well. And that's something that happens a lot with young players who are really good defenders. They can be really good defenders and get no steals. But then as they get older, they start to get their hand on balls a little bit more. And his numbers have gone from 0.9 to 1.1 to 1.4 and really starting to be an impactful player in that steals category. To me, he's he's still a late round target just because he, he doesn't give you assists. He doesn't really rebound the ball. You know, he's got a low field goal percentage and the potential for the minutes coming back down. But 
he could really take a step forward because he's in that time, Dan, of heading into a fourth season where a lot of players do take significant leaps forward. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, there, there are all the ingredients there for him to make a jump, but there are the ingredients there the last couple of years. It's just been slow progress. He's he's rounding out his game a little bit. He's definitely become better defensively. And, and when we were talking about with Reggie Jackson, whether it's Van Gundy's system that limits him for steals or or just his own style, I think maybe with Caldwell Pope, maybe it's Van Gundy's system a little more where it's not going to be this huge breakthrough in steals. He can get better. He can get more comfortable. Uh, but I do think there is just a little bit of a preference for him to be conservative. The last two guys, we've touched on a little bit that, that we'll talk about here, is Reggie Bullock and Darren Hilliard. Um, Bullock was basically a write-off with his time in Los Angeles with the Clippers. He did nothing any times with, with Phoenix, but he came across as a throw-in in the Marcus Morris. Well, the whole deal was a throw-in, basically. But he came <laughs> across with Marcus Morris in that situation. And when he was given an opportunity last season when Kentovius Corpope was hurt, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he looked like a guy... Well, he, he was a guy that could go out there and hit his threes at a, at a really high percentage. Hilliard also showed flashes when he was able to play. Who Who is your preferred option as that sort of backup shooting guard guy out of those two? Because to me, they're really hard to split. They are. Uh, and so it's just to frame this competition a little bit. I think it's sort of a three-scenario competition. Uh, scenario A in no order is Reggie Bullock being the backup shooting guard. Uh, scenario B is Darren Hilliard being the backup shooting guard. Uh, or scenario C is the Pistons not using a backup shooting guard and having a nine-man rotation. So not only do they each of them, are they trying to beat the other, they're trying to prove that the Pistons should have a regular 10-man rotation. I like Bullock it, maybe a little more in the vacuum. I'm pretty fond of players who can play within themselves. He has the the makings of a 3 and D guy, but just hasn't quite shown it over a larger sample, which is everything we've been saying about him since he's entered the league. Uh, maybe there's a reason he hasn't gotten a larger sample, but I sort of think he deserves one. On the other side, Hilliard came in and was better than I expected as a rookie. I thought he was going to be more of a 3 and D guy, uh, but he looked a little more comfortable with the ball in his hands as that secondary ball handler that the Pistons could use. So that could give him a leg up and especially if neither one is in the rotation, if they need somebody situationally, there probably would be more situations where Hilliard could be helpful. They're not going to really have much of a fantasy impact unless injuries strike down it, Corwell Pope or potentially Johnson as well. But it's, it's, it's exciting for the Pistons to have just some young players that flash the potential, especially guys that, you know, when you get them as a throw-in in a trade and as a second-round draft choice, you don't necessarily expect them to contribute at all. And I think both of these guys can be contributors. So they're names to watch, but they're really names to watch only in case of injury or in deeper sort of dynasty formats. But they are, they are very, um, it's good for the Pistons to have these young players to, to have a little bit of excitement of someone that you know can develop into a, a rotational type player and, and be useful in that sort of sense. Now, Dan, what's your uh, what's your bold prediction for this team? So I had this already. You know, we were getting to preview time, and my bold prediction was going to be that the Pistons are going to finish fourth in the Eastern Conference and get home court advantage in the first round. And then ESPN came out with their RPM based team rankings, and the Pistons were a strong fourth closer to second than fifth. And I, you know, I feel like I need something bolder now because that's sort of become too popular of opinion. Uh, so I'll go with that Boban Marjanovic 
by the end of the year is going to overtake Aaron Baines for that backup center spot. I think the Pistons are going into the year expecting Baines to hold on to that role, but I just think Marjanovic is too good and there's they're just not going to be able to keep him off the court. Fair enough. I, I can totally see that being a situation because Marjanovic is he's really good. And if you want to see something fun, you should be able to find it on YouTube. Go and watch uh, some of the games where Marjanovic went down to the D League and just destroyed them. I think he had like a, a 28 and 18 game with three or four blocks. He, if I remember correctly, I think it was against Delaware that he played. He didn't go down the D League very often. He didn't play a huge amount in the NBA, but when he did go down, he was uh, he was quite dominant. And it's, it's quite fun to watch him just go out, especially offensively. He was uh, he was tearing them apart down there. So he is a, he is a really fun player to watch. We know about the uh, the the cult of Boban, but. Hey, Detroit fans, you've got someone pretty exciting to, to root for and get in. And even if it's just garbage time, it'll be something for the fans to get pretty excited about to see him out there and starting to uh, starting to exert his influence. And I can totally see that situation happening, Dan. I think we've covered the entire the entire Pistons roster. Um, let's remind everyone where they can find you on Twitter. I'm at Dan Feldman NBA. So check out Dan on Twitter. You probably already are following him there. If not, go and do it. Go and uh, subscribe to Locked On Pistons podcast and leave a five-star review. That would be uh, immensely helpful for Dan. And do it for this podcast as well. That would be helpful to me as well. You can always follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. So uh, check that out when you uh, when you can. Um, Dan, thank you. Thank you. All right, we're done, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. <laughs>